Hey everybody, welcome to Heterodox Americana. This is a show about thinking outside the box and examining the conventional wisdom that informs how we think and shapes how we see the world around us. The question that we're ultimately trying to get at here is, how do our unexamined ideas impact our ability to thrive as human beings? And it's our intention to unpack some of these ideas, take a fresh heterodox perspective that hopefully leads us somewhere new. My name is Raphael Freeman, and I'm one of your hosts. And I'm Angie Backus, another one of your hosts. Today, I'd like to talk about a question that is at the core of so much of my own thinking, and it's certainly very related to the show's mission of examining the ideas that prevent us from from thriving. Uh, And that question is, what do you want? What do you really, really, really want? And I, th- I, think, I think we'll also talk about why that's a, a hard question to, to answer and how, and how it relates to, to human thriving. Yeah, it is, it's a significant question. I think that in the past we've talked about it being a question that's usually asked um, and answered in um, the thoughts around what we don't want. If you ask somebody what they want, a lot of times they'll come up with a million things of things that they would prefer not to, to have to deal with in their life. Um, and it's a whole different spin if you think the, of the question without the, the negative response. Right. Yeah, those, those responses, and then, I mean, so yes, you're absolutely right. I think that that, that is a very real uh, tendency for a lot of people. Um, I think it's, it's natural, right? You know, part of our evolutionary biology is geared toward avoidance. It's geared toward uh, survival. It's actually called a negativity bias. Uh, So we have a really strong understanding of what it is that we don't want. But that is, in fact, uh, kind of fundamentally a different question uh, than what it is that we do want. And looking into that latter question, it it requires digging a little bit. Yeah, you've got to almost push your mind in that direction. Otherwise, you're going to come up with all the things that make you unhappy rather than thinking about the things that exist are already in place. Right. Um, so, you know, one, before we kind of dig into the meat of uh, what it means to ask this question um, and to bring some of the, you know, so much of what we do is at the theoretical level and kind of talk about things abstractly. Uh, but hopefully by the end of the show, uh, there'll be some practical ways to kind of walk through uh, that question, uh, what, what, what it is that, that we really, really want. Or what it is as, as audience listeners, uh, what it is that you really want, and why that's an important uh, question to ask. Yeah, it seems so huge. What a huge task! I mean, even I think of my own life and the times when I think you've asked me that question, and um, getting under those layers that proves to be quite a task. So I think before we really dig into the meat of the question, why don't we just talk a little bit about why it is so difficult to answer? Uh, so that I like that's that's worth considering, right? That's uh, I think that's an important um, thing to consider. You know, we we come into the world. Part of it is I think it's our biology. We come into the world with maybe not even maybe like two instincts. One of those is the suckle. So babies come in the world with this idea of wanting a nipple and um, 
there's some oxytocin connection to mom and not really that much else. Uh, that initial environment that we find ourselves in is one of responding to essentially to stimuli. Uh, as we get older, we are still responding to stimuli, uh, even as the environment grows, whether it's the family environment, eventually school, and then society writ large. And mostly, um, we stay in that mode. We mm -hmm. stay in the mode of wanting the things uh, that we've been taught to want, um, whether it's intentional you know, like a marketing or advertising or something like that, or whether it's unintentional, the kind of emergent uh, demands on us that come from society as a whole. Uh, as long as we are responding and never stopping, never slowing down enough to ask ourselves this question, what is it that I actually want? Then I think we just stay in response mode. Yeah, that's, <coughs> excuse me, that's a good point. I think, you know, even bringing it into the chemical level, that we are kind of on this this uh, this hamster wheel of getting these chemical hits, um, and to your point that you know this is the way it's been since we emerged into the world, right. um, and as long as we're getting relief, it sounds to me like it's hard to stop and break this down around this right. deeper issue. Uh, actually, I think that's the perfect word. Relief is the perfect word uh, because we do get relief. And I think that, that, I mean, that's meaningful, right? That's significant. Um, but it's not all that is possible. Um, joy is possible, right? Like a p really transcendent peace is possible. Uh, and I think when we stop at relief and we don't explore uh, what's further, then we, I think we miss half of the human experience. We miss, if not more. Uh, we, we have measures now. So we talked earlier in an earlier episode about human thriving maybe that was episode number three or four um and and kind of what the measurable ways of, of thriving uh, what those things are and it's rare that someone hits all five but it's doable and when you have all five kind of elements of thriving um yeah your life is amazing so it, it's worthwhile to explore past just relief so can you remind me or remind us what those five foundations were for thriving yeah um so obviously i love talking about this kind of stuff and i, I really want people to thrive um it, here's one uh, here's an acronym that will at least al allow us to uh to kind of think through it's perma p-e-r-m-a mm -hmm. uh the p in perma stands for positive emotions mm -hmm. uh, positive emotions are available to most people um, depressives have a, a harder time coming by positive emotions, so it's not that they are uh, readily available to everyone, um, but they're relatively easy to come by. Mm -hmm. uh, you can, they're hedonic ways. Uh, you get the thing that you want, buy a new phone, new car, whatever it is, mm -hmm. uh, that counts. Uh, and there are other ways of, of having positive emotions too, the love of a family member or winning a, a big game or something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, so it doesn't have to just be hedonic, something that you buy, but positive emotions are a key element to, to human thriving. The E is for engagement, and the hallmark of engagement is those moments when you're having such a good time that you kind of lose track of time, and you don't know where the time went. Uh, that's essentially, I mean, that, that is the hallmark for what engagement is. There are a few other forms, but you can think of it that way. Um, relationships. Um, that's the R. That's the R. 
positive relationships, in fact. Uh, so not just any old kind, but it's essentially people who want the best for you um, and you want the best for them. That that qualifies as a positive relationship. Um, M is meaning. And here's one of the, the ones that are a little bit harder to come by. Meaning emerges when we feel connected to a group or something that is bigger than ourselves. Uh, it could be a community, it could be church, it could be religious or not, um, but it has this, it could be um, a band, football team, uh, but there's some sense of being connected to something that's bigger than you mm-hmm. uh, and you serving that thing. Uh, so the self diminishes, right? There's a diminution of the self as you serve this thing that is larger than you uh, and then meaning kind of emerges out of that and lastly there is achievement which is exactly what you think it is there are two types of achievement there's intrinsic and extrinsic intrinsic you know the pursuit of intrinsic goals is better than the pursuit of extrinsic goals for you know meaning to really get you to the good life uh achievement um but yeah achievement is exactly what it sounds like that's perma. So now getting back to just asking the question, um, can you give me an example of what um, might happen when you ask somebody this question? Where do they usually go first? I mean, I know that everybody's different, but what could be a typical response? So what I normally get, uh, we talked about this a little bit, uh, normally what happens is people say what they don't want. And then I try to give them a warning uh, that it's actually a very difficult question to to ask uh to answer um and then um mostly uh, you know people assure me oh i I know exactly what it is that i want um and i I prepare myself uh but by the time they get around to um attempting to answer the question usually what happens is that they draw a blank people don't know Hmm. um they they have a i think you know i think by the time I'm asking this question, people have a an instinctive sense that I'm not asking, you know, what they want to eat for dinner. Um, and when it comes to asking this larger question, what is it that you really, really want? Um, people start to stumble, which is what I would expect. Yeah, I think by the time you get what I don't want out of the way, because I, I think even at times when you've asked me this question, my tendency, as we've already described is always to say what I don't want. Um, and once you remove that, I think it is, you do get stumped. You stop because like we said, you know, the whole relief and being born into this, you know, wanting comfort and then trying to get away from the things that are uncomfortable. That's, that's the program. And so I can imagine you just kind of stop. Yeah. I mean, that's what happens for people. I mean, there's one more trap that's in there that I, I think is worth talking about. It's uh, people who have a relatively high level of satisfaction will say, well, uh, I have everything that I want. Mm -hmm. Um, And we know as purely at the animal, human brain level, no one has everything they want. We habituate. And so we always want more things. Um, And they don't need to be physical things, right? But we always want more. Um, There's a a, a Kabbalist named uh, Baal HaSalam who says, uh, every time we shift in our seat, it's to go from a state of being less comfortable to a state of being more comfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we always want something, even if, if it's just uh, something like that. The question is, how, how do you get to that sense of what it is that we do want if there is a relatively high um, sense of satisfaction? Right? Even my, my kind of secondary question is, um, you know, are you living the life that you want to be living? Uh, 
uh, and I get far more no's with that one. Um, and there's enough uh, at the, you know, if you look at human labor statistics in the United States, uh, there's like a relatively high level of, of, unengage, of disengagement at work, 70%. Uh, and so I know that dissatisfaction is high there. But even if you find someone who's like satisfied in all these areas, uh, how do you get underneath this question uh, or how do you get to the core of this idea of what it is that they want, uh, even when they're very, very satisfied in so many areas of life? And uh, I like to lean on the magic wand question. Oh, I know this question. If you had a magic wand, um, what would you change? You could change anything. Um, what would you change? Uh, and it's rare slash never. I've never had anyone tell I wouldn't change a thing. Because um, this might even be one of the things that takes us out of the self. Uh, if you are very satisfied in what you want in the self, then the natural progression is what you want for your family. And then after that, what you want for your community. Then after that, what you want for a much larger sense of, of humanity. And so um, if you had a magic wand, what would you change? Yeah, you know, um, I think that's a, kind of a, a popular question to kind of get to something deeper. I was in a meeting, I guess it was about six months ago or so, and um, it was a, a meeting of, of therapists. And one of the therapists asked another therapist that question, um, if you had a magic wand and there were no restraints, what would you, you know, what would you do? And he couldn't, he couldn't answer it because every time he would start to answer it, he would talk about a restraint. Like mm. you couldn't think past right. whatever the barriers were. And she kept saying, no, no, it's a magic wand. Right. There, there aren't any restraints. You, but what if I, you know, what if I don't have enough money to do that? No, 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 that's not there. Right. And he, he was very stumped. This guy is a bright guy. I mean, he's a great therapist. He just stopped and he said, I, it's so hard for me to get right. past whatever my mind is telling me that has to stop me. Yeah, so this hits on a, on another thing that it sounds like, and this has to do with self-limiting beliefs, uh, our ideas, our concept of the self, and what those limits that are that are built in there, and that kind of stuff is it, it is really hard to get past. Um, I think when we consider our self-limiting beliefs, uh, when I ask people what it is that they want, a lot of times they'll tell me what it is that they think that they can have. Hmm. And that's not the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's a lot to dig through at, at trying to get to this core of what the self wants. And ultimately, what's our, our ultimate trajectory? Um, how, do we, how do we experience like a life of joy? Mm -hmm. um, a life of, of happiness. And I don't mean like kind of happiness in the moment, but I mean like just a life of happiness. But, but getting to that means getting past those those restraints that don't exist in the world even if you have a magic wand but they exist in our mind so do you have some magic formula for everybody that's listening here that we're going to get past all of this these layers i do i oh. do uh it's not magic okay. but there is a there's a really good place to to start so there are only two questions that stop us from from really living the life that we want to live the first one we covered already, that is, uh, what do you want? What do you really, really want? And that one's primary. It's a necessary question to get out of the way before we can ask the second question, which is, what's stopping you? Mm. Uh, what's stopping you from 
doing the things that you want to do? What's stopping you from being the way that you want to be in the world? What's stopping you from having the things that you want to have? Um, and the reason I think that that is an interesting question is because barring any physical restraints. Mm-hmm. Um, like real physical restraints. Like physical. Mm-hmm. Uh, that there are only really two categories of things that stop us. It's either our beliefs or our habits. And the reason that is helpful to know is because if it's if it's going to be one of those two things, then we can target our beliefs, if it's our beliefs that are stopping us, or we can target our habits. Hmm. Uh, and sometimes it's a combination of yeah. those two things. Um, but I think that that is the place to start. What do we want and what's stopping us? Yeah, just a small example. Once, um, One time I was... I was running and I was considering how far I'd run, which hadn't been that far. I think it was just a couple miles where my run was usually four to five and I wanted to stop. And I was asking myself that question, like, what am I doing? Why am I going to stop? And part of it with the answer was because I'm tired and I can. And um, it was then I, I started to consider how, you know, psychological change can be almost more more profound than um, physical chains. Oh, for sure. You know, that if, if my mind were completely free, how far could I actually run? So there's a hackneyed story that I'm a little loath to tell, but uh, maybe not everyone has heard it, so I'm going to do it anyway. Um, the story goes that there is um, there's an elephant that's chained at a circus. Mm. Um and uh, an observer notices that the elephant is really just held in place by a spike in the ground tied to a rope. And the observer asks, you know, one of the, the animal trainers, I don't understand why this elephant doesn't just run away. I mean, this, this spike mm-hmm. in the ground, that's not enough to keep an elephant. And the animal trainer says, well, what happens is that when the elephant is very young, their leg is tied to a uh, uh, cement and a chain and every time that the elephant the young elephant um, tries to pull away it's cemented to this chain it can't get away and the elephant the young baby elephant wants its freedom it tries to get away and it pulls and pulls and pulls uh, and eventually what happens is there's a point at which the elephant's spirit breaks essentially it gives up it stops trying the elephant has the young elephant has tried so many times to pull away from this chain and realizes that it can't, that eventually, essentially it learns that, oh, this is useless. It's learned helplessness, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so after the learned helplessness, at this point, the trainer would consider the elephant trained. Mm-hmm. After that point, it's not necessary to have a chain and it's not necessary to have this cement. It's only necessary to have a little bit of a tug so that the elephant as soon as it tries to move and it feels that tug the elephant has already told itself this story that oh right I can't get away and so the elephant is trapped not by a physical spike not by a rope but it's trapped in its mind so this yeah the, these psychological barriers it's it, they are so significant um, and just like that elephant you know I think oftentimes we are trapped in something that we don't even know. I mean, right. maybe we could be free, but we don't even know that we're trapped. How do we get to that layer of knowing why we aren't able to be free? Right, so that's perfect. It's the next question in this series. The first, what do you want? The second is, what's stopping you? 
uh, of those two things, it's going to be your beliefs or your habit. But uh, the third question is, what is it that I'm believing here? Mm. Uh, if you have identified those first two things, mm-hmm. right? Um, because to ask yourself, what, you know, what do I believe is probably going to be a meaningless question um, unless you've gone down this path. Uh, but what are the things that I think are true? And how do I know that they're true? Mm. Um, there are loads of things that we assume must be the case. In fact, here's a very good example um, out of my own life. I have lamented so many times uh, about the lack of uh, civic space. I would love to have uh, a men's group in West Philadelphia. And these are mostly fathers that I know who are out of sorts in some ways or just really kind of need more male support. And, you know, in my lamentation of the lack of places for us to gather, um, I would always say things like, I, I really wish there, there were space, but there's no civic space. And then the last time I had this idea, I said, well, wait, is, am I just believing that there's no civic space? Or have I actually looked at it? And then I decided to ask myself a different question. Instead of saying, um, why is there no civic space or I wish that there were, said, if there were, where would it be? How could I find uh, a place for us to gather? Uh, What are the places that we could possibly gather? And almost immediately, place after place after place started popping in my head. Mm. Um, Sorry for snapping. Um, But they started popping up and I was like, oh, I just assumed that this was true. Mm -hmm. I assumed that there was no no space for us. Uh, And the minute I I changed the framing uh, to where can we meet, immediately ideas started pouring in. Well, that's that's connected to what I have or what is available rather than what um, is not available. Kind of connected to um, what do you want instead of what do you not want, right? right? Same thread. Yeah, no, it's... Um, and it, it's so frequently the thing that stops us is... it's and, I mean, and sometimes... The psychological Right, barrier. it's the psychological yeah. stuff. That's not to undermine, you know, to, to downplay... The things that happen in real life that are very sure. real and they're very real uh, things that stop us as well. Um, but generally, there's a way to maneuver around the things that happen in real life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's much harder to maneuver around some psychological barrier that we're not aware of. Yeah. So for you, it sounded like there was kind of this light bulb moment where you said, wait, how is this true? Is this what I'm saying to myself? Is right. this the thing? Um, how do people get there? Do you think it's just being aware? Well, I mean, listening to this podcast is going to help. Uh, <laughs> this will take you through the steps. Um, right. It, but if you haven't been kind of guided through that process, if you haven't gone down those steps... Yeah, that's what I think is true. Uh, I, I don't... It's going to be hard, uh, I think, for people just to... Uh, and it's not like I made all this stuff up. It was, no, it's no. A, it's a tried and true like, yes. you know, process of, of guiding people through this. But it, it's hard to do it on your own. But in theory, it's doable if you really want to and take out the time. And Sure. Yeah, maybe even like writing, you know, keeping a journal and kind of asking yourself particular questions as you write your story. Right. So as, as a testament... Um, as a testament to, I was talking about, you know, uh, disengagement at work mm-hmm. and how high those numbers are. Um, there's a corresponding number in the billions about how much is lost in terms of productivity mm-hmm. uh, every year in terms of GDP. Uh, because we know that the, the level of disengagement is that high, 
uh, for so many Americans, 70%, um, you can almost just presume that people are not asking themselves mm-hmm. the question. So many people hate their jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even when they don't hate their jobs, they're like the levels of dissatisfaction at work so high for so many people that you, it's not really what they want to be doing with their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that we can all we can all live those those lives that we do actually want to be living. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because this always was a little perplexing for me when you would talk about this because I really love what I do. I, I'm a psychotherapist and I honestly love it. I like being in the clinical setting. I like helping people. I like listening to people. I feel humbled and honored. I mean, there's so many ways I could describe my my um, vocation of a great joy. It brings me great joy. Right. Um, and I, I would always consider this question and think, well, I have what I want. Right. And I remember one day it just clicked because I think you pushed me a little bit further around, I guess, I don't know if the word would be complacency maybe. It's, I was doing something, I am doing something that I really enjoy, but what would I really want um, just even in the setting of being a clinician, right. like, is there more that I right. could do? And when I started to kind of let my brain open up to say, wait, there, yeah, there's so much more. I mean, I could just, you know, peter along and that's okay. But there could be immeasurable amounts of satisfaction right. and joy right. if I push past even the place I am now and get the fullness of all of what, this would offer me so much energy, so much, you know, uh, yeah, so much life force and all of it. Right. And that, that, so, yeah, I think that is the thing that that lies beyond um, for all of us, you know, that this level of satisfaction. It's like uh, if you can get to this point where you are very satisfied with with where you are then the next level is, am I challenged enough? Mm-hmm. Like, that's where we grow. That's where this, this challenge is. Uh, instead of saying, do I have the, you know, do I have what I want? Which is one of our primary questions. Is like, am I being my very best? Can I live at the edge of my own performance? Can I live at the edge of my own being? Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I think you kind of need to get to that, that place where you are living the life that you want to be living first. But then if there's a next step is like, am I living at the, at the very edge of what I'm capable of? Yeah, and I think even that, you know, living the life that you want to be living first. So if you were to ask me, you know, do you enjoy what you do? I call it a vocation rather than a career, and I would say yes. Um, If I stop there, it's true. That's all true. But what I'd be missing is, I think you called it zest. Right. Like, it's more the juice of life. It's this kind of... um, the way that we get to live our lives is in the fullest sense of it. And, you know, there's something in challenging ourselves, but then there's something in kind of even living life in this larger way. Right. That's exactly right. Yeah. I mean, you're good where you are, but you could do more. Right. And we could all do more. So here's a reminder of the steps of how we get to live and have a bigger, fuller life. The first question that we have to start is, what do you want? What do you really, really want? The second question is, what's stopping you? Of the things that stop us, they fall in two categories, either our beliefs or our habits. So one question is, if it's the belief, is what is it that we believe 
in our own heads, our own psychological barriers, that what do we believe that's stopping us? And how could we do it differently? And how could you do more? Yes. So I think that's it for us tonight. Thanks for showing up and listening. I am Angie Backus for Heterodox Americana. Uh, Raphael Freeman, and uh, we'll see you next time. See ya.